Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to have you uh, here with us today. And if it's your first time with us, say, hey, thanks for coming out especially on a, a, a frigid Southern California morning, because um, we're not used to this kind of stuff in Southern Cal. But um, how many like the rain? You like the rain? Okay, I really don't, just letting you know. How many of you could take it one day and you're like, I'm over it now, I'm just like that. And I would rather have 95 degree weather. Anybody with me on that one? What do you mean, no, okay? No. Uh, I, okay, I didn't mean to create division, okay? So let's just let's just hold off right there on all the divisive stuff, but um, it's good to have you with us. Your first time with us. If you're watching uh, uh, from the comfort of your home in your pajamas, um, thanks for joining us. And if you're here first time, hey, great. You could be anywhere else. Letting you know that we uh, like to teach the Bible here. I believe very strongly that uh, from my experience and looking at things that we have become very much a biblically illiterate nation. Would you say amen to that one right there? And so in my little corner of the world, I just want people to learn the Bible and make that dent into people's lives so they understand God, who God is, and begin to walk in um, everything that God has for them in their life. So we're in this, uh, we're starting a series letter to Ephesus, and I got to tell you my dilemma. I have a dilemma. Uh, the hard thing for me is that on, on, on Tuesday nights, I teach verse by verse. We record a Bible study about, I don't know, 42 times a year. And uh, some of you come out for that. I'm in uh, Joshua. And so I can go slow. I can go verse by verse. The problem with Ephesians on Sunday mornings, well, we take a book on Sunday mornings. We just take a theme out of each chapter, like this will be a six-week series. But the hard part for me is that when I look at chapter one in any chapter, I could honestly pull four messages out of chapter one. And so it's really hard for me to decide, okay, which, what am I going to do? Which, what, what theme am I going to to preach on this morning, teach you guys, they'll help you out. So I will struggle every week with this one. And uh, today I kind of zeroed in on the idea of who am I? Now, in this letter, um, the first half is about our calling and who we are. And then the second half, the last three chapters, as we get there, it will be about our conduct. And the good way to kind of think that one is that think of our calling, the theology study of God is. Think of the skeletal system of your body. That skeletal system gives you the strength and the framework to move. And then think of the application, the conduct, your behavior as your flesh, as your muscles. Without a skeletal system, you would just be a glob of flesh, living, breathing flesh, just sitting there, and that's all you'd be doing, okay? And so you need the skeletal system to be able to flesh out what God is teaching you and I and maneuver. And so think of the two sides of Ephesians that way. Now, one of the cool things when we get there in a couple weeks in the second half is that Ephesians, it tells you all about marriage. It teaches you about marriage. It teaches you about parenting, about being a son and a daughter, how to relate to others, especially how to relate to others, teach you about spiritual warfare. And so here's what I like about when we get there. If you remember about five years ago, some of you were there at that time. Uh, we go backpacking every year to the High Sierras, and you know this this time we went up to we we're going up to Cottonwood Lakes out of Lone Pine, 
And we get there about three in the morning and we get our packs on. We start walking. It's about five miles in to the destination, stay there, then two days later, walk out. And this time we, we got to the trailhead, three in the morning, got everything ready, started walking. And, and I've been there five times at least, maybe six, I've walked this trail in my lifetime previous to that point. And so I know the trail. And I, I walked it the first time way back in like 1982, it's a long time ago. And so as I'm walking in the night with the headlamp on and finally get to that, I'm looking around, I'm going, this just doesn't look right. Something is wrong with this trail. Somebody switched it. Somebody changed it. And as I'm walking, you know, second mile, third mile, I'm going, this is wrong. Something is wrong here. And then finally, we get up, I get up to the pass, and other, some of the other guys there, and I think, I think it was my son, Nate, I, I think it was the one who just hosted. I think he said, Dad, you took us the wrong way. And when I got to the top, I knew it was the wrong way. And so what had to happen was we walked, we took the wrong trailhead, starting point, walked all the way up five miles, and Dave, you were there, right? And then I said, well, we got to turn around and walk five miles all the way out, just like that. And so we walked 10 miles that morning, all the way up, 35, 40 pounds on your back, and all the way out. And uh, I wasn't really happy with myself because I picked the wrong trail. Um, but it turned out to be a really great week, and I take credit for that. Um, but, um, <laughs> but, but here's the thing I'm trying to make up, point out here, is that in life, how many of you know, you, come on, be honest now, just pee on, you're in church. You know that you, when it comes to maybe some parts of marriage, some parts of friendship, some parts of parenting, some parts of what, being an employee, a boss, whatever, that you know that you've started the wrong starting points and some things aren't working. And so what do you have to do? You have to back up and you have to go back to the starting points and see how it works correctly because you want to fix what isn't working. Just like on that trail, we had to go back to the starting point. You got to walk back out. Well, that's what Ephesians is going to do. When we finally get to chapters four, five, and six, it's going to take you back to starting points. Really great application for our life on, on how these things actually work versus, how many of you notice this? That Christianity is, a lot of it is a matter uh, through the power of God, the blood of Jesus, the cross of Christ. It's a matter of unlearning the things we learned wrong and relearning the way God says things should be. Any, anybody know what I'm talking about? There's a lot of unlearning. It's a lot of relearning. And that's not bad. That's a, that's a cool thing right there. So it's going to take us there. So what we're going to do today is I'm going to do some intro commentary through the first three verses of Ephesians chapter 1. Then I'm going to take you to three points as we talk about who am I. And you'll see as we get there, build a story. And then at the end, I'm going to try to bring it home. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 1, let me begin with some commentary, verses 1, 2, and 3 in Ephesians chapter 1. And it says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus, say Ephesus, who are the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Okay, let me break down some things here. So first, we find that Paul is writing, he's writing from prison, by the way. He's one of the prison epistles. He's writing to the city called Ephesus. Ephesus is what we now know as modern-day Turkey. That's where this city is. Paul, when he becomes a Christian, 
he, uh, he travels the Mediterranean and he plants all these churches and one of the places is Ephesus. What's interesting is Paul goes there on his third missionary journey because he does three of them and he stays there at least two years and he's teaching the church there. On a missionary journey, you can read this in Acts chapter 19 in the New Testament letter. When he gets there in the city of Ephesus, they have one of the seven ancient wonders of the, of the ancient world. It's the temple to Diana or also known as Artemis. They believe that this idol that sits in the temple actually fell down from heaven. The people in Ephesus believe it. This thing fell from heaven, landed right in the spot, and there she is, okay. And they believe that. When Paul gets there, he starts sharing the gospel. People start becoming Christians. He starts teaching them about God, which means you're not going to be an idol worshiper because you don't make a graven image of God. Amen to that one? Now, the city's filled with all kinds of darkness and, and magic and things like that so what happens Paul gets there as people get saved they start bringing their books of magic and they make a big pile in the center of the city they light the pile and they make a big bonfire and they're burning all their magic books because the gospel is now infiltrating and changing lives there's a man in that city he's a blacksmith it says and what he does is he makes little idols of the big idol Diana slash Artemis and he notices that he's now losing money because these people that once bought his idols no longer want his idols because they're no longer idol worshipers and so he's getting upset he's getting really mad because now he's got a loss of income and so he, he's going to start raising Cain against old, um, against old Paul because it's a money issue for him you don't really care about anything else he just wants the money and so the city gets in an uproar and uh, it says that for two hours they're screaming in the streets great as Artemis, great as Diana and then the city's going crazy over this in fact some people jump in there it says they don't even know why they're in there yelling they're just yelling it's just a mob mentality and how we don't see that around anymore right um, and so Paul finally gets out of there but here's the point Paul brings the gospel and that gospel is a catalyst for change and that change and that truth is going to impact, affect, and offend some people. Now, it's going to change life. It's going to change the way people operate. And it did there in this city right there. Now, Paul says, he calls himself in those verses, an apostle. An apostle simply means this, one sent out. That's all it means, sent out. He also calls the people there, he calls them saints, okay? Now, a saint is simply means set apart. Now, let me talk to some of you in this room who grew up like me, and let me set the record straight. A saint is not someone who is made a saint or recognized a saint through some organizational structure because of something they did. That's not what a saint is in the Bible. You got that one? A saint is anyone who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ, that you're walking with Christ, and you are a saint. So when I look around, I say, look, there, there's St. Rick right there. There's St. Ralph right there, right? Am I right? There's St. Bernard right over there. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Sorry if I pointed at somebody and offended you, but, but I waited all week to say that, okay? So I had to get it off my chest. <laughs> but you're all saints if you're followers of Christ. You know what I like too is, um, it says in verse two, um, uh, grace and peace. I like the sequence. And because it's a typical way Paul starts a letter, grace and peace. Because you really can't have peace in your life, true peace, with the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, until you experience the grace of God. Amen? 
See, when you are now in, in relationship with Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus washed you clean, and you know that all your guilt is gone, and you're in relationship with God, you have real peace. You don't wonder anymore, where do I stand with God? And that's because of the grace of God in your life. And how many people want real peace in their life? And if you want more on this, if you want to study a little further this whole idea of peace and making peace with God, just write this down, Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. It's a great system. You see how you can grow in Christ. But it starts off with faith, you know, uh, making peace facing God. uh, With God means facing God. And it's a cool idea that you have true peace when you come to Jesus Christ in your life and you start to grow in Him. Now, with that said, the last thing Paul says in, in verse 3 is, He's blessed you and I with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. It simply means this, that God has given us believers through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, every, through the Word of God, everything that we need for successful Christian living. We've got everything we need here. And so there are no excuses for us. We can just walk successfully in Christ. So here we go. I'm going to give you three things this morning. If you're taking notes about who am I? The first, it's going to be who I am. It's going to be what I am. And it's going to be where I am. So number one is this. Who I am. Who I am is it's identity. Fill in the blank. Identity. I'll read verses four and I'll read verse five. And it says this. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. Now, really quick side note for those of you who like a little bit more of these things. Just one of the interesting things is verse 3 all the way to verse 14 is actually in the Greek one long sentence, just one. From verse 3 to verse 14, one sentence. Now, why is identity important? Because identity dictates behavior. Who I am determines how I'm going to act. Any amens on that? Can you prove it, Jim? Absolutely, I can prove it. Jesus Christ, he goes to the Jordan River to be baptized, does he not? As he's there, he steps in the water. And when he gets baptized and comes out, it says the heavens opened. It says the Holy Spirit descends like a dove. It isn't a dove, like a dove. And when that happens, God the Father utters these words. He says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So he calls Jesus his son, correct? So that's identity right there. Now, that's the end of Matthew 3. If you look at the beginning of Matthew 4, you see the Holy Spirit leads Jesus to be tempted in the desert. And when the devil comes and tempts him, one of the things, or one of the repeated statements, questions that Satan tells Jesus is this, if you are the Son of God. But Jesus has already been told at the end of chapter 3 of the baptism by the Father, here's your identity, you're my son. So when Satan comes and says, if you are the Son of God, then turn these stones to bread. In other words, sin. Come on, man, do these things. But Jesus, knowing who he is because he has identity and identity dictates behavior, therefore, he doesn't have to sin. See, when I know who I am in Christ and I let this word dictate my behavior, I don't, I don't have to fall to anything out there, anything over there, because identity dictates behavior. Any amens of that one right there? Now, as you read those verses, in verses um, four and five, there's a lot of stuff in there. 
This like, look at this identity stuff right here. It says, I'm chosen, I'm blameless, I'm holy, I'm predestined, I'm adopted, according to God's will, I'm all these things. So you see my dilemma in teaching this? I could spend a whole week in that verse right, I could spend Sunday in that verse right there, but I can't, so I'm gonna pick one. And here's the one I picked. I've been adopted into the family of God. I'm God's son. You are God's daughter also. I'm in his family. He's my dad. I think it's one of the most beautiful things in the New Testament that Jesus brings into play and Paul follows it that Jesus calls the father, father. This Abba means daddy. I think this is the most beautiful, foundational, truthful response to a nation that has so many fatherless children. You know my heart. You know how I feel about things. I feel strongly about a lot of things. In America, 20-something percent, and I don't think you use the words white, brown, or black. I hate that because that's not true. Everybody's brown. It's melanin. We're just different shades of brown. That's all that is. They've got it wrong out there. But 20-some percent of white babies come home from the hospital after being born to no dad. 50-some percent of Latino babies come home with no dad from the hospital. 70-some percent of black babies come home to no dad when they're home. That's a pandemic dilemma, is it not? But you don't hear them talk about it because it's not going to get you any votes or progress or anything. But that's the real problem in America. And it's, 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 it's massive. It's systemic. It's pandemic. It's everything. And you can trace so many massive issues and results and problems in America just to that right there. But here comes God. Here comes God. He says, I'm your dad. I can be your father. I can be a father to the fatherless if you let me. Because see, the father is the answer, at least to this massive crisis in America. Any amen? amen. You see, the whole issue is, I'm an adopted son. And by the way, the Roman Empire, they didn't adopt babies because babies died. They adopted grown-ups. So, I'm adopting the family means I belong to someone. Does that make sense? You belong to someone. Now, my last name is Del Campo. Actually, my whole last name is Martin Del Campo. That's my full last name. It's just so long, it takes, it takes 10 minutes to write it. So everybody has Martin as their middle name. Even all the girls in the family are all Martin, middle name Martin, Del Campo. Now, it sounds like a cool last name, Martin del Campo, right? It just means Martin of the Field. I'm just Jimmy Fields. That's all I am. I'm, sounds so much. Jimmy Martin del Campo sounds better, right? I'm um, Jimmy Fields. So, um, my dad, as your you story you guys know, when he was a little over a year old, somewhere in that vicinity there, his father was murdered in Mexico, Los Altos de Jalisco, Mexico. And, uh, and, and, and he has an older sister by a couple years. 
And so his family was going to take both the kids away from his mom. So his mom had to make a decision. I can't take them both, but I can take one. So she takes my dad, she brings him to America for Mexico. And he leaves his sister behind. He would not see his sister again till they were in their 40s. I remember I was, like, I was like seven and we traveled to go see them. And I thought, that lady looks just like my dad. You know? And I just like, wow. But when my dad came here as a baby in around 1915, late 15, early 1916, his mother remarried eventually to a man with the last name of Ramirez. How many last name Ramirez in here right now? Raise your hand. I was, that's just two of you, that's, that's bad. No, I'm just joking. So my dad took the last name Ramirez. And I would have been Ramirez, his stepdad's name. And in my dad's high school yearbooks, he's Johnny Ramirez. But then he meets my mom. And here's the way my mom tells the story. She said my dad wanted to marry her. But she told my dad this. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to marry you unless you take back your real name. And how many know that men will do anything for the woman they want to marry, right? We'll act like idiots for that woman. It's like, okay. So he took back his name. He became again John Martin Del Campo. He took back the name. Listen. Before we came to Christ, many people walked through life. We, we thought we were this and we thought we were that and then we come to Christ and then we realize this is my true identity. I've grown up in a stepchild world where I didn't know really who I was, but now I know who I was. I have identity. And this is not the struggle of our society right now. Identity. People wondering who they are, what they are, this and that. And it, you say, what's well, a new thing? No, it isn't. Go back to Genesis 3. As soon as they sin and shame comes in the world, they reject themselves. And that's what people are doing all through society. Rejecting themselves. They take fig leaves and they create a new identity. And that's what they're doing now. And so when we come to Christ... We know who we are. We find out this is what God says I am. This is who I am. This is what I, this is what God says. And we have the identity of God. Now, this plays out in tremendous ramifications that are positive as I'll get to in the end of the message here. Now, I gotta do a side note. Because there's probably three or four of you in this room right now that you said, do you like me to talk about that word in there, predestination? Some of you want me to go there. And I don't have an hour. And I'm not talking on this morning, but I'm going to say a few things about that. You, probably, you just need to know where I stand on things, probably theologically. And let me say what I'm going to say about this. Well, let me say it first. Some people will say that from predestination, some people are predestined by God to be saved. He chose them to be saved, chose us. But the other people, God did not choose. And therefore, they're going to hell. Now, that doesn't feel right, does it? It doesn't feel right to me at all. Now, I'm not going to go by feeling per se, but it doesn't feel right. And so that's a dilemma. And so they say, well, God chose some to be saved. They're going to, other ones, they're going to hell. That's just it. I don't agree with that statement. Let me show you what I agree with New Testament, and then I'm going to give you a balanced statement at the end of it for those of you. Watch it. Let me give you three verses. Watch this. Put them on the screen. It says, the Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness but is patient toward you not willing for any to perish but for all to come to repentance how many is all? Everybody. it's every human being God wants everyone to be saved so you see my dilemma already with this predestination stance now 1 Timothy 2.4 it says this who desires who desires 
all men to be saved. Oh, he wants everyone to be saved, to come to the knowledge of the truth. So I got a dilemma with that now with predestination. John 3, 16. For God so loved the, the world, everybody, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So now you see my dilemma? I can't go with predestination because it's saying that some people are going to be chosen by God to be saved and some people are not chosen by God to be saved. But then I read the verse that says, well, God wants everybody to be saved. So now I've got a dilemma right here. Which way am I going to go? Now, about 1989, I'm in a theology class at Vanguard University. And my professor did me a favor that day. He didn't realize what a favor he did for me, but it has stuck with me ever since that day in that class. Uh, what's that, like 35 years later? He started talking about this. And, and here's the point, God. Whatever side you stand on, it's an intramural argument. We're all on the same team. So don't fight over it. It's a waste of time. But here's what he told us. He says, you find predestination, that term in the Bible. It's called uh, the sovereignty of God. But then on the other side, you see where God wants everyone to be saved, that man has to decide. That's called man's responsibility. So you've got these two theologies you see here, and they do not, here's what he said, they do not make sense on this side of the grave because our brains are little finite peanut brains. Any amen? Compared to God's. But when we get to heaven, when we get to eternity, and we know as Christ knows, we're going to go, oh, that's how that works. But on this side of the grave, you're not going to be able to explain it. Nobody can put it together. And, and, and let me add this too. Now, I'm going to move on, but don't try to come up to me and tell me how you're going to put it together. I don't even want to debate it anymore. I've, I've had so many debates on this over the decades. I'm done. I'd rather you save your energy, go out, and witness to 10 people since you want to talk to somebody, okay? That's a better way to go rather than argue over these things. Any amens to that one right there? Now, point two. Here we go with the how. First is the who. Um, I didn't. Now the how. How did I get the identity? How I am? Value. I'm valued. Look at verse 6, 7, and 8. To the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption. Say redemption. Through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. And lavish means a superabound. It's a massive excess. He lavished it on us, this grace. In all wisdom and insight. Now, this answers the question of how I became a son of God, daughter of God, how I got this identity. And the word is redemption. Jesus redeemed us. And the word redeemed is the idea of a ransom paid to liberate someone. A ransom paid to liberate someone. So Jesus, he comes, the God-man, he goes to the cross, he gives his life, that's the ransom for your life and my life for salvation. And so we receive those benefits. What did he liberate us from? Sin. What did he liberate us from? Satan. Satan has no power over the Christian. Any amens? Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. He came to liberate me from myself. Self. How many know we can be our own worst enemies? Anybody? And I'll add, he came to liberate us from sickness, whether on this side it happens or when we get in eternity, we'll never be sick again. There'll be no more disease. Any amens? Sin, Satan, self, and sickness. So he came to liberate us from all these things. Now, let me tell you how this plays out in our lives. 
Jesus gave his life. He is the ransom. Okay. How much is something worth? How much is something worth? Whatever someone is willing to pay for it. That's what the value of it is. I want you to take that thought in your mind. How many of you are married women right now? Raise your hand. You're married. Your husband's here. Okay. Raise your, keep your hands up. Put your left hand up. Okay. That ring on your finger, the price your husband paid for that ring is how much value he placed on you. That was bad. That was that was bad. Rick, why'd you tell me to say that? That that's bad. That was so bad. Oh my God. That was a late edition on Friday. You see the the blue ink right there? No. That's not true. That's not true. Because if it was true, back in 1981 when I married Olivia, the wedding ring, she'd be worth $685. And so and I know she's worth at least $999 by now. So but that's bad. That's bad. My wife's a good sport. She has to be married to this guy. The value's not the ring. The value is the commitment that that man said, I will spend my life with you, committed to you and you only. There's the value right there. Jesus gave his life to you. He committed to you. How much is this life worth? How much is Jesus' life worth? It's incomprehensible. So therefore, what are you worth since he was the ransom paid for you? How much are you worth? It's incomprehensible. You have tremendous value. So now you have this identity and you have tremendous value. It's a matter of who you are. But then we, now we shift to the where. Where I am. I have identity. I have value. But where am I? And that is position. Now, point three, position. Now, watch this. I have to jump in the, in the chapter to verse 18 to 23. Watch this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. Stop right You know what he's saying to you, what Paul's telling you? You gotta get this. You gotta know what this, what I'm gonna tell you, saying. you gotta get this, man. This is important. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So you see the power and the strength of God working in our lives, but it first worked in the raising, we first see it in the raising of Jesus from the dead. When you became a Christian, you went from dead to life. Did your life change? Did your attitude change in a moment of time? Anybody? That was the power of God. And seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Christ is seated. When you're seated in those days, that means the work is done. There's nothing to add to it. He said on the cross, it is finished to tell us die. Everything begins with done, not do. He'd already, it's already done. Far above all rule, verse 21, and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the, in the one to come. Every demon, devil, ruler, power, authority, 
is under Jesus Christ. He's above it all. He's the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. You got that? Now watch this. And he put all things in subjection under his feet. So all those things that I just mentioned are under the feet of Jesus. That's position. And gave him his head over all things to the church. Say church. Which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. Watch, 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 watch. I have identity. I'm a son of God. I have value. Jesus gave his life for mine. I have position. He says, Jesus is the head. Under his feet is the devil. Every demon, every power, every authority, everything. But his body is the church, is us. See, the church is not walls. Don't say, uh, no, we say I'm going to church, but that's not a true statement. You're going to a building, and the church is people. Jesus started the church that day on Pentecost. He said, I'll build my church. The idea of church is a group of people coming together in a common purpose to push back the gates of hell. That's the church. And we're the church. We're his body. Now think. If he's the head and we're the body, then as the body, under our feet is the devil, every demon, every power, every ruler, every authority, Everything. So I don't need to walk around and say, well, the devil's out to get me. Shut up, Christian. No. You should wake up in the morning. The devil should walk around going, they're out to get me. They're awake. That's what should be, right? That's what really should be because he's under our feet. I told you this before. I mean, some of you did this. How many of you, when you're in high school like me, you would forge a parent's name as a note to the office. Raise your hand. I want to know how many lawbreakers we have in this room. I'm glad you're in church today because we took names really quick right there. So I got really good at signing my mom's name, Claudia Del Campo. And I'd go to Corona High, I went to Corona High, and they had that window there at the outside of the office, and I'd bring the note, because if I decided to ditch the day before or show up late because I didn't feel like getting up or whatever, and I'd have the note there, you know, whatever Jimmy was sick or whatever, signed Claudia Del Campo. And I hand the note to them and I'll walk away. Why? Because the name carried the power. Did it not? They can't tell me anything because Claudia Del Campo signed that. And so, as a follower of Christ, you carry the name you carry the name. The name at which the demons tremble. Did you know that? No, 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 no. Okay. I did something. I'm going to do something I haven't done in a long time. I have a list. I haven't done this in like 12 years. I have a list. Okay. Now I'm going to tie it all together. Now, those of you watching at home, don't talk to each other right now. Somebody's going to miss something they need to hear. Those of you in the lobby, I'm talking on the camera. Everybody in the lobby just, um, shut up. No, be quiet, okay? <laughs> Let people listen to what I'm going to say right now. It's very important. 
because I want to tie it in to flesh, to application in our lives. These are things that are going to be in the book I'm writing, just letting you know right now. Pray that I find time to keep writing that book. These are issues I've dealt with in my life. Okay, here we go. Here's my list. Identity, value, position. We've covered, that's the three things. Okay. What does identity give us? Security. Does it not? If I know who I am, I will be a secure person in my life. Now listen. If I'm secure, and I, used, I, was the, I was all the opposite of these things, but if I'm secure, I won't take things personal. I used to. But I'm secure now. If I'm secure because of my identity, I, no one's, I don't walk around thinking people are out to get me. Oh, they're out to get me. Oh, they cut me off on the, on, on, right there. Yeah, because for 24 hours they've been thinking about how to get you, not even knowing who you are. Come on, get real, man. If I'm secure, I won't need to hold a grudge against anybody, will I? Because I'm secure. Secure means I'm grown up. But if I want to stay a child, well, I'm going to hold all the grudges I want to and take everything personal. But my identity says, no, I know who I am. If I'm secure, if I have identity, I won't read into your facial expressions or statements or whatever and wonder, I wonder if they like me or not. How many of you do that? Oh, you won't even raise your hand. You're scared, huh? I used to do that all the time. But you won't do that because you're secure. It doesn't matter. You won't, you won't read into things anymore. If you're secure, you won't walk and say, well, I'm a victim of the society and everything. Shut up. Get secure. That's an identity issue. Listen, if you're secure, then it would, turns into this. I like myself. I like my skinny bow legs and all. I like me. And I'm one California roll. I'm older now, okay? I can laugh at myself. I used to be so dead serious. I never hardly cracked a smile. I was dead serious decades ago. I'm sick of that. I'll be free. You see, grace and peace. Don't you want peace in your life? No, really. Do you really want it? Or are you just nodding in church because that's the right thing to do? See, I can be secure because of my identity. I'm a son of God. That's who I am. Now, it doesn't end there. Now, value. Value. Remember the second one? Value. Value is the proof that somebody loves me. Jesus died on the cross for me. He loves me. Listen. Shh. I'm loved. Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, spirit, strength. And he said, The second is like it. He says, Love your neighbor as yourself. Think of the words he just he stated. I'm to love my neighbor the way I love myself. But what if I don't love myself? What if I'm not crazy about myself? You're right. Then I can't love my neighbor. It would almost be impossible to love my neighbor. This is what I've noticed in 30-some years of counseling and talking to people, looking at my own life, that people who have all these problems in relationships and marriages and everybody else, it really boils down to they just don't love themselves. They don't love themselves. And so since I don't love me, you can't possibly love this. So I'm going to sabotage the whole thing and walk away going, see, I knew they didn't like me. No, you did it. You did it because you don't like you. 
did you catch what I, did you catch my drift there? Yes or no? Because I'll say it again if you didn't catch it, because then you're going, if I value me, I'll value you. It's just that simple. I won't create conflict with you because I value me. He won't be, it's not personal anymore. You may not like me, but I'm sure not going to get riled up about that. You may say, I'm leaving the church. Don't let the door hit you with a dog shit a bitch. You know, know, what am I going to do about that, right? I'm not going to go home and go home and eat a sandwich and feel good about my life. I like me, okay? Now, second service, I have a few more minutes. Can I say something? So in this love me thing, when my grandkids, as they grow up, and, and Willa, I told, I told her, and Scotty, she's under, she, I don't think she gets it, but I tell them, I go, if anyone ever asks you if anyone loves you, you tell them, yeah, my granddaddy does. Because love gives value. And they need to know that no matter what they do in my, granddaddy loves them. You can come back to granddaddy. Because granddaddy will go beat him up. <laughs> you see, the value proves that I'm loved. But then there's a third. See, I got, I got one. Can I tell you the third one on the list? Shh. Position. Position gives me confidence. You see, I'm very, some of us doubt every week that we're really Christians. Any amens? then you'll never doubt it again. I'm con- I know I'm saved. I, I'm confident. I don't doubt my salvation. I know justification. I'm in right standing with God. Nothing going to change that because it's what he did, not what I did. I just believe him. See, the, the thing is, I know where I stand with God. God loves me. Now think about that. If I'm secure in where I stand and I take that now into a marriage, a relationship, a friendship, I'll always be secure in where I stand with you. I'm not going to think like, well, Olivia's probably going to leave me. I wonder what she's doing right now. She's 10 minutes late. Oh my gosh, she's got to be talking. I'm going to check her phone. I won't do that anymore. Some of you, I just stung you, didn't I? I know where I stand. I'm not insecure. Used to be. Used to be. Let me finish with this one. Confidence. Position. Position dictates behavior. Position dictates your thinking process, Bible, behavior, confidence. When you're confident, and I wasn't, I didn't grow up confident. I was very insecure growing up. I was insecure in my early Christianity days. Because of confidence in God, I know my position, I know who I am, I will gladly stand up against the stupid, sinful, demonic ideologies of the culture and I won't back down one bit, guys. And I'm not going to. Not going to. You can come up here and debate with me all you want. I would just tell you, get some guts, man. We need Christian with guts. Get some confidence. Don't come in and combat with me. Go combat with the ideology out there. I'm not going to back down. I have identity. I know who I am. I have value. <laughs> my value is incomprehensible. So is yours because of Jesus died on the cross for me. And my position, the devil's under my feet. 
And see, demons and the devil, they don't attack straightforward. They use humans and inject, because he's the God of this world, inject ideologies into humans. And those humans bring these ideologies, contrary to God, into the system that we live in, this world. And now we're fighting this battle. I feel like I'm in a war every day now, more than I've ever felt in my life. And maybe because I have grandkids, I don't know. But I'm confident. But I'm confident. And I'm not going to back down. And when you know your position, don't matter the opposition, because you know the devil and demons are under your feet because you're in the body. Because you're in the body. And you know who you are, identity. And you know you're valued. And it changes your world. And you can walk with peace through any situation in life. When everybody's blowing up and falling apart, you can walk with peace and yet stand firm in what you believe. Identity, value, position. That's what Paul says. That's what he gives us. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. And I just scratched the surface today of what you've given us. You've lavished it upon us. And once we start to put this thing together in our life and start processing these things and we're honest with ourselves instead of going trying to correct everybody else, then we grow. Now, if you're here today, I don't have time for a lot of time, but you've never placed your faith in Christ as the Messiah, the only God and Savior of this, of our world. There's no other way. But you'd like to place your faith in Him. You'd like to become a follower of Christ because you know it's the right way now. He is the way, the truth, and the life. The Bible says, New Testament Romans says, if I confess with my mouth Jesus Christ is Lord, believe in my heart, God raised Him from the dead, I will be saved. Acts says there's no other name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved except the name of Jesus. He's the only way. If you'd like to place your faith in Him and because you, you never have, today's the day. Or if you backslid, It's time to come back to Christ. Don't play games anymore. Let's be a follower now and be obedient to the word of God. So with that said, if you'd like to place your faith in Christ or rededicate your life, I want you to open up your eyes and look at me right now. Look up here right now. I'm going to look around. Once our eyes meet, you can close them. We do it right now. Now those who looked up at me, I'm going to say a prayer. I want you to repeat it out loud because you must confess with your mouth Jesus Christ the Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. Everyone here is going to say it out loud with you. You're not alone. You're joining the body of Christ, the family of God. But you just got to believe it. You got to believe that Jesus is God, that he did die on a cross for you and me, carried our sins, and that he rose from the dead. Resurrection. That's the gospel. So here we go. Repeat this prayer. Everybody repeat it with them. Thank you, Jesus, for coming for me. For going to a cross to be the ransom for my sins. To set me free. For dying, rising from the dead, so that I could walk a new life. Today I give you my life. Thank you for saving me. Forgive me my sins. And I know I'm forgiven. 
Now let me pray. God, I pray for everybody that looked up. I pray for you, friend. You've become, you're going to start a, a walk that's contrary to this culture in many ways. There's going to be pushback against you. It's okay. You have to know who you are now. You're a son and a daughter of God. That's your identity wherever you go. You have value. No matter what anyone has told you in the, in the past that you weren't worth anything or whoever rejected you, you have value. No matter who walked out on you, no matter who wasn't there for you, you have value. And you have position. You're in the family of God. And every demon and the devil are under your feet. Every power and authority are under your feet when you're in the body. Thank you, Jesus, for this day. In Jesus' name we pray and we all said, amen and amen. Stand up with me, everybody. Here we go. Lord, keep me outward focused and fill me with your spirit. Give me the boldness to share the gospel with others. Open up opportunities to minister outside the church because I see what I'm looking for and make me into a generous person like you. If you have any prayer needs also at all, these people on my left or right, they'll be glad to pray if you see them after service right now. God bless you. Have a great day. Have a great rest of your afternoon. Thanks for coming out. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.